You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 129 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lopes, and on this episode, we sat down with Tim Keen. Tim is a self-taught marketer whose previous day job was with a touring rock band. Believe it or not, he started off by dropshipping sex toys, which was a niche that he stumbled upon while doing SEO research. And he quickly learned enough about performance marketing to be dangerous. He followed that up with a crash course in performance marketing at one of the fastest growing agencies in the country. He then did an in-house stint at a global musical instruments company, which led to him accidentally co-founding a digital marketing agency called Loop Club in 2020. Since then, Loop Club has grown exponentially. On this episode, we're going to talk about performance marketing. We're going to focus on how to scale a business in 2021. We'll talk a little bit about the changes that are coming to the entrepreneurial landscape and how you can prepare for them. And we'll hear from Tim's experiences starting an agency in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. We're hoping that you'll take away a lot of information here that'll help you to continue to scale and grow your business using performance marketing. Here are the self-made strategies of Tim Keen. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, I'm super excited to get into this because Loop Club, really, really cool concept. Love the idea of performance marketing and really looking forward to discussing that with you. But first and foremost, before we even get into that, how do you go touring with a rock band, sex toys, Loop Club? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. Uh, So I was in a rock band and the it was great fun. Like, it was a really good time. But the problem with being in a touring rock band is you don't make any money at all. Right. Like, there's literally no money to make. And we were doing pretty well. Like, we were right in that mid-tier where you can, it's a day, it's basically a day job. Like, you are able to travel, but you're really, you don't take home anything. So, yeah, right. while I was doing it, I was trying to find ways to make money. And I needed something that I could do, that I could do while I was traveling, that I could do without, like, having or making a physical product. And so I stumbled, I was like, I'm going to see if I can drop ship and I'm going to see if I can make like a thousand dollars a month, like everyone, like everyone who's trying this thing. And I kind of knew that it was like a borderline impossible way to actually make money. But I was like, at least if I do it, I can optimize for like learning a lot. I can try to learn as much as I can. Right. So the first niche I tried was Harry Potter merchandise, (laughs) which, uh, which is illegal, but it worked and at least gave me the confidence to, um, to continue on my way. And then I found a competitor. I, found, I stumbled upon some drop shopping site that was selling sex toys. And it was, it had so much traffic. It was just like an absolute SEO gold mine. I was like, well, here's your, here's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you do it. So I started replicating, I was replicating that website and um, was able to scale a store pretty, like not, not like crazy, but I definitely like made a bunch of money, like ultimately reinvested all of it. and. Like just learned and kind of grew the business, but it was it worked, and it's a high margin product. It's a product that people don't want to complain about because you it's intimate and personal. You uh, can't take returns, which is a godsend. So there's, there's actually in terms of like if you're doing an analysis of like what should I sell online, like it's a pretty good product to sell online. And then after that, I used that experience to get into an agency. I was basically like. I just didn't say sex toys. I was like, yeah. So I had experience building stores. Like I, 
have uh, <laughs> run Google Shopping before. Like I understand the dynamics of the market. I was able to kind of, I call it laundering my experience, <laughs> laundered my experience <laughs> into um, into an agency. And it turns out it was a really good training. Like building, building your own stores, like it's really good training um, because you see every part of the business and because it's so different when it's your own money. Like the terror is so much more extreme. So you, uh, you learn really fast. And then I was just like pretty good by the time I got into the agency and I just worked really, really hard. It's able to scale a bunch of accounts. And then eventually I left, went in-house for a little bit, but clients kind of kept coming and wanting, wanting to work. And I, this was at the start of COVID and I'm like, I'm not going to say no to anything. It's COVID, like I'm terrified. Course, right, yeah. And, and it's just been growing and growing and growing since then. And now it's like 12 full timers. There's a whole team here. Like it's, it's crazy. It's just, it's a whole thing. And it, it really just happened. That's amazing. So you've turned this into an agency with 12 full timers. That's incredible. All right. So, but first and foremost, what was the name of the band? Are you guys still playing at all? Or, or is the band completely defunct? The band is done. Well, the name of the band was called Fort. I, I never say this in interviews. This is a rare crossover. It's uh, <laughs> O-U-G-H-T, uh, Ort. We were like a Canadian post-punk band. Cool. Uh, I lived in Montreal. And yeah, we're not, we're done now. Um, we haven't played in a little while, but I mean, who knows? We, someday we may play again. Yeah, that's but, cool. What, what did you play in the band and what was your part of the process? I play drums. Oh, I play awesome. drums. Okay. And it's funny, like we've since starting this agency, we've hired a bunch of people from bands. Like I've hired a few people who are my friends from bands and a tour manager. And the thing about being in a band is like you work very long and irregular hours. You um, are unsure if you're ever going to become successful. You are faced with like an extreme stress at all times. You yeah. spend a long time on your computer. And so like it, the skill set translates perfectly. Yeah, it's I was going to say it's good training. No yeah, train it's great for great that. training for entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's perfect for exactly. that. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so so you start dabbling in sex toys. There's a phrase I didn't think I'd say on a podcast ever, <laughs> but hey, uh, so you start dabbling in sex toys, business takes off and you realize that there's something to this performance marketing thing which as you said led you into the agency uh, agency world and then eventually you start to develop a book of clients. Now, what is for, for people who are listening that don't know what's performance marketing? What does that mean? So performance marketing is as it's kind of in opposition to like brand marketing. And it is marketing where there is a deliberate attempt at seeing an ROI, seeing and being able to measure your ROI. Um, and that is wasn't always the case in marketing. Uh, a lot of the time, like you'll be amazed if you look at big companies, they have multi-million dollar marketing budgets, but a lot of that will be towards things that they have no idea whether it's working or not. So performance marketing is really about kind of tracking and optimizing the work that you're doing in order to drive an outcome. For most of our clients, the outcome is conversions, is purchases, but the outcome could be could could be something else. It could be email capture, it could be lead generation, it could be ads to cart, it could be views of a views of a video but really what it is is it's that connection between um doing the actual marketing itself and seeing a response and being able to understand why that's happening and and replicate that so people come to performance marketers when they want to make money like it's closer to sales in the sense that it is about getting product into people's hands and it is safer place to allocate budget especially when things are um when the world is changing very fast when things are quite hectic Brands want to allocate budget to places where they can explicitly see the results. And so they come to us. 
Very cool. And so there's some built-in scalability. How does performance marketing help A, drive growth? And how does it build out scalability in, in a marketing structure? Oh, it's, I mean, it's essential. Like it is how you tail a brand. Like you need, especially after those early stages, once you've built the first stages of a brand, you, I mean, even then, you just need to be able to identify what you're doing, whether if you can't figure out what's working and what isn't working, then you're in a huge amount of trouble because you need to be able to double down on these things and reinvest where things are working. So that initial state of like, okay, what is it that is actually driving these results? How can I measure it and optimize it? And then how can I do more, more of that? Um, that's how you scale, right? That's literally how you scale. So it is, it is scaling. And most that's where our sweet spot is. Brands really come to us when they are looking to scale and they haven't found the way to do it. And um, that's what we do. With respect to getting into entrepreneurship, I mean, going from artist, musician, into entrepreneurship, even though you're already developing a callus, as you said, staying up late and all of those things, how do you make that transition? What in your life, you know, first of all, kind of forced you into that? I know you were looking for opportunities to just make money and survive, it sounds like, right? But was there a particular moment that kind of set you off and just said, I have no choice, I have to go into entrepreneurship, there's nothing else I can do? Yeah, completely. Well, I moved, I mean, I moved to the States and like, it is harder to live here. Like it's way harder to live in the U S than I came from Canada and Australia. The reality is like, it's, it's just an easier life in Canada and Australia. And like for, for most people, like it's really true. And, and coming here and just having like, everything's more expensive and more difficult. It's like, Oh, you want to have health insurance? Oh no, you can't do that. Oh, you want to have like a driver's license. It's going to be really hard. Like the experience of like moving to the States is like, realizing that you're going to have to work super, super, super hard to get like a base level of a normal life. And that was, that was the primary motivator. It was like, okay, like I don't have that many, I don't have a huge network here. I don't have savings. I don't have, I didn't go to a U.S. university. Like I need to figure something else out that I can do that is mine. And I think like, so that was the first part of it. And that definitely brought me into the world of like, how am I going to figure this out for myself? And then I think another thing is like when I've, finally got a job I was like I can just do this job really fast <laughs> like <laughs> okay I figured it out now I can probably just do it if I just do this at triple speed do I have to do it for less time and obviously in the workforce that answer is no like you still have to, you still have to do more work but what appealed to me I don't even know if it was appeal I just fell into this but it is like if you work harder the output is more and that um, I think is helpful when we're looking at scaling accounts in general, first of all, these accounts that you're working with at Loop Club, what type of clients are you predominantly working with? What type of organizations? Uh, we've niched down in a really nice way. So they are only uh, purpose-driven Shopify e-commerce brands. So they need to be Shopify. They need to be on Shopify. They need to be selling a physical product that is shipped to people then they need to identify as like purpose-driven in some way. That's that's a very broad category. It's not like, it doesn't really exclude that many people, but it, it's, um, it helps helps everyone stay aligned and, and leashing down in that way has been really good for us. Um, the bulk of our clients are, have some revenue and some traction already. It, it would, we do, we do get startups, we get startups, it's just a different ball game. And most of the time you come to us, if you're doing 20,000 to $50,000 a month, we can, very, very easily grow that. That's not hard. 
that's one category of client. Then the other ones are slightly bigger than that. Um, and they're looking for more of like a whole kind of robust team who can help them achieve specific goals and already built out a system. But yeah, I would say the two, the, there's really three main categories of clients, 50 to 100K, 500K, zero. <laughs> that's, that's usually where brands show up. So right, exactly, exactly. So if, if uh, let's say someone's listening to this and they're not quite at that 20K mark to, to be contacting Loop Club, how can they use performance marketing? What are the practical best practices that they should be applying to their business now to get them, first of all, to that 20K space, but also to build the foundation for when they inevitably start integrating this at a higher level? What, what are the steps that they need to be doing to build up faster? Yeah, this is an amazing question. And I think it, what's really hard, what, what I notice in the industry a lot is that people... It's not actually hard to do things. It's not hard to like do Facebook ads or do Google ads, but everything that you might be able to do costs money, right? Like every single time you make a mistake, those mistakes cost money and they also cost time. So I, we meet a lot of young entrepreneurs or a lot of people who have are just starting businesses who are overwhelmed by options. They have too many things that they might be able to do and they can't, they don't know what strategies to prioritize. I think that's where the idea of performance marketing comes in because it's just as simple as like, do the things that are working, do the things that are, are driving ROI. And when you are in a really early stage phase, mm -hmm. that could be anything, it could right. be literally anything that was working. And I can't stress this enough, like anything that is working. And we're working with an early stage brand now and we're just doing everything. It's like, okay, can you run an Instagram giveaway? Can you measure how many Instagram followers can you get out of that? Can you go into Facebook groups and like, to tell people about your product, like what cheap to free methods do you have in terms of acquiring customers? Because you're going to have to do that a little bit. Like it's just inevitable. And then the other thing I would say is that setting up your email marketing is, is a huge piece. And I think a lot of brands are sleeping on this, so they don't see it as important. But having an email capture with an offer on site, pop-up email capture with an offer, and then a welcome flow that introduces you to the brand, walks you through the key points, and then asks you for a purchase that is going to drive a really significant amount of, your, of revenue into your business. And it, we see all the time brands with even really, really established brands with, with suboptimal email marketing programs. So again, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't, you don't have to get the fanciest person in the world to do it. It doesn't even have to look beautiful. It just has to exist. And so just, just build out your core flows for your email marketing and ensure that you're capturing attention that comes to your website and then measuring and optimizing what people do. Interesting. Yeah, good point. So do you do you think that email marketing is really the best investment, though, for someone who's in that zero to 2000 startup mode, trying to build up early stage, still trying to build that client list? Is that the best focus for them? And, and I'm not being critical. I'm asking legitimately, is this out of curiosity? Is that where people should be spending their time? Or are there more organic ways to do so so that they can kind of maximize their, their dollar and bootstrap? Or what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on what kind of business it is. So when you said client list, like, are you imagining like an e-commerce business or a, another agency, someone starting another agency or something like Actually, that? Actually, let's look at both as separate examples yeah. because I'm curious. And we do have listeners that I know that are, are routine listeners, some that are more service-based and then others that, that are working towards some thing, some widget, yeah. some product, some, some purchasable item, right? So looking first at the Shopify version, you have something to sell, something tangible or intangible, doesn't matter, some version of an item that you're trying to sell. 
what's yeah. what's your go-to right now? Where where are you spending your your focus and your marketing dollar? It's funny because we're literally doing this right now. If you have zero revenue, if you're flatline in Shopify, mm-hmm. do everything. So choose choose something that is easy to do. A giveaway. That's I've grown brands like this before as well. If you post on your Instagram every, every twice every day and you give the product away as often as you possibly can. Um, just be like giveaway, like tag two friends in this post and then you'll be entered in the giveaway and just do that over and over again. Once you find something that works, and by works, I mean it's like brings people to your website, generates a sale, just do that, keep doing it. You will probably want to invest in some Facebook and, and potentially Google ads, but you're going to find that at that early stages, you may end up spending a couple of thousand dollars before you start breaking even. Right. So right. you need to be mentally prepared for that. And this is where all these other kind of cheap and low cost things come in. So I would just get really scrappy about it and do things that aren't going to scale. So go to Facebook groups and be like, hey guys, what do you think of this product? Does anyone want one? Like leave a review and, and you'll just get some traction. And then do giveaways on Instagram. TikTok is really good. Um, anything that you can do for free. And we have a guy on my team, um, his name is Mars, and he built his e-commerce store from scratch as well. And he is also just so, so crafty um, and, and, and just has insane ways of like figuring things out. And that's what you want. You want to move really quickly in the early stages. Don't think too much about it and just do things until they start working for you. And when you identify something that works, and by works, it doesn't mean you made a million dollars. It just means that you made a dollar. Do that thing right. again yeah. and get better at it. Better and better and better and better at it. Um, and so for a physical product, I would be thinking about organic channels. And I would be thinking about giveaways and getting that product into people's hands. That's what I would do first. Um, for starting a service business, I would. it's kind of the same thing. Like I would focus on getting your first client. Um, the first client is the hardest. Someone else told me the first five clients are the hardest. I got my first client on Upwork, actually. And I was just like, just hustling, just straight up hustling. And I was like, I'll do, just applying to all of these like very low quality, very, very low quality ads. And like, I built someone's website for like 200 bucks and like just did stuff that like. Building the portfolio, right? Yeah. You know, generating volume. Yeah. And you get that sense of um, what the client wants. How, How do you talk to clients? How do you manage their expectations and how do you over-deliver it for them? And just start over-delivering. Like it's going to feel like at first it's like, oh, I'm definitely not making any money out of this. But you get used to that experience and you get used to really kind of really, really getting clients to like you. And it is about that. It's a relationship industry right. and it's a service industry. Like it is a service job. So you just have to get good at that. And then once you get a couple of clients, I wish I'd done this like two years earlier in my career. Ask them for testimonials. Get testimonials from them. Get get a video of them looking at the camera and being like, Tony was amazing. He like completely helped me with my business. Like he did everything that I needed him to do. He was fast and uh, reliable and and was there to help me. And once you have those videos, you're off to the races. Like yeah, there, right. there are so many people in the world who need help solving business problems, right. whether it's email, like whatever discipline you've chosen or whatever, whatever technical area you've gotten into. There are, there's literally infinite business out there. Like it's not, the problem isn't that there isn't enough business. The problem isn't that you, is that you don't have the experience or credibility to get it yet. Um, and then the other thing I would say 
and I wish against another thing I wish I've done better is in a service industry, concentrate. At first, you're going to want to test a lot of things and learn a bunch of different service lines because you won't know what you're best at yet. But as quickly as possible, limit the amount of services you offer to an incredibly niche offering. Email marketing is a really good example of people I know who are making just insane money in the agency world right now. I'm just doing email marketing. Wow. Or just just wow. doing YouTube ads for e-commerce or just doing email marketing for Shopify stores. Like your offering should be tiny and specific and you can then become the best at it. It's way easier to become the best at one service line than it is to build like a full agency structure. Right. Um, so if you're on your own, like just pick an offering. Just pick one thing that you figured out how to do that you can reliably provide value for people with. Like it has to work. That's the thing. It has to improve their business. Otherwise right. you're in trouble. But right. Yeah, one thing you can just sell it over and over and over again. Amazing. Amazing. So what was it like starting an agency in the middle of the pandemic in 2020? Oh God, uh, completely man. batshit crazy, I would imagine. But uh, but how did you do it? And uh, technically, myself and a few co-founders did the same thing. And our, our philosophy, I'll just kind of tell you real quick, is we've been at it for a year, uh, for a full year, meeting every single week. And we're just now launching our minimum viable product, so to speak. It's it's a it's kind of a service based industry for the most part. We're doing podcast production, um, but uh, there, it's a little bit more niche than that, as you said. But we started it last year, and it's been a year, week after week, just planning meetings and how do we do this, and then going out and literally just asking people, "What do you think of this?" And, you know, getting feedback and then going back to the drawing board and starting from scratch. What was your experience? That's great. Well, I think it was a little different for us because we already had some clients. So I had freelance clients and we, we knew what we offered because we'd been doing it a little bit before. And we understood that people wanted to work with us because of our experience driving growth. So it wasn't so much, there was probably less planning than we should have had. It was very like, ah, okay, we're an agency now. Like, what do we do? Like, how do we make this happen? It's, it's like just, your hair's on fire and you're looking for yeah, something to put it out. Yeah. It's felt kind of a little bit like um, falling, like I kind of stepped in a crack in the road and just fell into it and I've been falling since then. <laughs> and <laughs> and just, just trying to deliver services as, as effectively as possible and bring the team along. And um, there's there's an advertisement for entrepreneurship. It's like <laughs> yeah, falling welcome. into a crack welcome. in the ground and feeling like you're falling <laughs> right, forever. Is. But yeah, I mean, I was used to it. Like, I think my having just enough experience with that kind of precarity and with that kind of like extreme highs and lows made a it helps. It really, really, really helped. And we were lucky enough to have things go well quickly. The flip side of having things go well quickly is they will come down. This is a sine wave, like especially a service business because you're delivering services, it is a sine wave. And if you can get it to go up, then you're doing great, but you have to be able to ride the dips. Like it's it, anything is spent, you sell a bunch of work to people, you then have to deliver all this work. Yeah. And the more effective you are at selling to people, the more work you have, the more physical people you have asking you for things. And then the complexity scales on the back end too. Like you need more people to deliver the more work. So all of a sudden you've created like, it's really hot. It's a really, really hot business to run. And I think if you're not prepared for that, it would be really scary. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I've said this before on the show and I, I couldn't agree with that more. And that is 
artists and entrepreneurs, extremely similar in a, in a lot of ways. And I think it does take really thick skin and the ability to face rejection head on and to not get dissuaded by it. And it's very much like the process of becoming an artist in general, right? I mean, the first time you picked up a, a set of drumsticks and kind of sat down to bang stuff out, it's very clunky and you're not producing the great sound that you are later in your, in your, you know, creative journey. And in a lot of ways also, as you're drumming, as you're improving as an artist, it's all about constant growth, right? And that's, again, the same trajectory as entrepreneurship. So I think you're right. The process of learning an instrument is probably a lot like what entrepreneurship is like. That first time at the, at the ivories, at the keys, right, is going to be very clunky. And you're going to make some weird sounds that don't sound so melodic. And then, you know, through many, many, many repetitions and many attempts at trying to put things together, that's what leads to jazz level improvisation, which is like what high levels of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial success look like, right? It's like, how did you get here and how did you become successful? I have no fucking idea, but it's because of years of just banging away at the keys that now I can, you know, uh, play something that seems to just come out of me, right? And entrepreneurship yeah. is like that. I couldn't agree more. You have to be very stubborn. You have to have yeah. a certain kind of yeah, stubborn, yeah, yeah. certain kind of stubbornness, and then also like a faith that things will pay off for you. And it's that. It's exactly yeah. They're they're really quite similar. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and it is one of those things where like if you spend couple of not become this guy, but like if you stop, you have there's no chance. You're you're already done. It's, it's literally impossible yeah, right. for you to succeed. So that's why everyone is just like, keep going, just keep going, just yeah. keep going. And yeah. you have to do the same thing for, for music as well. You should keep plugging at it. Yeah, absolutely. So scalability-wise in 2021, what's your advice for anyone who's trying, and we all are, right? Every business, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a business owner, and he was saying to me, you know, pandemic, it's not over, but everyone is just trying to get back to 2019 what what the expectation was right we're trying to get back to that back to open for business back up to speed forgetting about the losses of last year or whatever so what's your advice to the entrepreneurs that are listening what should they be doing to make sure that they're building scalability in 2021 um when you if you are building a service business think about offerings that you can sell that are not services <laughs> i think it's as simple as that like services are great i do not regret running a service-based business but it is really 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 hard to scale it so what you want to do is think about how you can package your knowledge in a way that is scalable whether that's a course whether that's a set of templates whether that is like content pieces whether that's coaching or consulting um, that gives you a little bit of a buffer, gives you some breathing room in terms of scalability, because if you have to deliver all of the work, then you're, it's just really hard. That would be the first thing. So think about diversifying your revenue streams and, and monetizing your, your knowledge in different ways. And then I think the second thing would be to be like, and this is something somewhere we have not yet fully succeeded, but this is what I see businesses that are scaling do effectively is be like aggressively process driven. So if you are doing something yourself and you're the bottleneck for it in the business, like it's not going to scale. It just can't because you have to do it every time. 
So like write it down, like figure out. And I think I fall into this trap and a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap of thinking like, oh, no one can do this but me. Like I know how to do it. And what I'm doing is like my special source of doing it. And it's absolutely not true. It's just not true. So next time you're doing the task that you think is the secret source of the business, like literally write down all of the steps of doing it. Like click here, click here, do this thing, evaluate this thing. If this is above this number, do this, like write it down like you're explaining it to a child and then just hire someone to, to do that thing for you, um, teach them how to do it. And if you yeah. have the right person, they'll take it further than you expect and they'll find you new things to add to that process. And then that's a business. Then you manage that person. And you want to do that as early as you possibly can in the process um, because otherwise what will happen to you is what will happen to us is just that you'll get crushed by the workload if you grow and then you'll burn out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more, certainly. Um, and it, it's happened to many, many entrepreneurs. And that's like the biggest trap that we fall into, right? Is that you're, you're the leader, the doer, the accountant, the, you know, swabbing the deck, you got to clean the toilets, you got to uh, buy the sex toy inventory, you got to promote the sex toy inventory, you got to do all this stuff. And if you're doing it all, you're, you're not going to be able to scale the business. You have to build systems. You're absolutely right about that. And the sooner you do it, the better. And for those of you who are listening who think, well, you know, they can say that, but in my industry, it's different. Listen, Google, Microsoft, we can go down the list of every successful company throughout all of history. They had to find other people to do other jobs, right? That's the way that it works. If you want to be successful, if you have a successful business idea, you have to scale it. Otherwise, you're just working for yourself, and that's a terrible relationship. Um, quick, quick question that I'm really curious about, and that is when you eventually let go of the... Now, the Harry Potter business, I think, is pretty clear because, as you said, you know, sooner or later with a business like that, you're in the crosshairs of getting a lawsuit, right? So yeah, yeah. you kind of have no choice but to let go of that. But you were talking about how sex toys as a niche was fairly, uh, fairly successful for you, right? So... How how did you make the decision to let that go and to go focus on the agency side of things? And what was the actual literal process? Because I think that's the the flip side of the entrepreneurial trap, so to speak, is I, I get into that groove of doing something and then I've got this money coming in. I need that money to pay bills and to survive. And so letting go of that sometimes when it's time to go on to the next thing is really difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs as well. So how did you come to that decision? What what was the factor that helped you? And you know, what was the literal process that you undertook to to bring that business to an end? Uh, that's an awesome question. I think for me it helped that it was funny and kind of not where I imagined myself in the world. Like it was really explicitly like, oh I'm gonna see if I can do this as a test and like, oh wow, look, it's growing a, a bunch. That's weird. Um, I mean, the other thing to remember is with these dropshipping businesses, like it's very difficult to take profit out of them because your margins, you're, you're just a middleman. Like you're, you're a mar your margins are limited by uh, your supplier. It, it's a complicated and difficult business model that if I was to scale it further, I would have needed to do things like get a US, US warehouse, invest in inventory beforehand, build a real team. Like, and it was just me kind of testing stuff out. And I think I got to this point where I was like, oh, okay, the next level is going to require even more time and even more dedication. And I wasn't aligned enough with the business or with the mission or whatever to like make that my day. -to -day. I just was like, 
did this funny thing, figured out how to do it. Now I'm just going to get a job. Like I'd love to have, I hadn't had a job. I was like, wow, health insurance sounds amazing. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world to me. It was a little bit of sweet. Like it's true. Like it was definitely like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, this is, it's, because it was, it's, it gets easier to expand, even though it takes more time. Like you start figuring out, okay, if I do this, then I'll be able to grow like this, and be able to grow like this. But if you end up on a path where you're like, wait a second, do I really want to be like a sex toy entrepreneur in, <laughs> in five years? Like at this scales, like, am I going to be happy? Um, well, honestly, like no disrespect to the people who are of doing course, that work, yeah, who are doing yeah, it. Like yeah. it's just, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It didn't feel sincere. Um, and I, that made it easier to be like, um, Okay, this is the end of it. In terms of winding it down, work is pretty inventory light. I didn't buy any inventory. I had a few websites. I would like kind of slowly turn the domains off. I kept, I had a, a bunch of SEO rankings that were driving some revenue through that. So I would kind of leave that stuff around and then have my assistant fulfill some orders for a bit and then just kind of slowly trickle down promotions until we weren't promoting anymore. And I mean, I was also getting really busy. Like I had another right. thing to do, so yeah. it was easy to do. The funniest and nicest thing about it is the assistant who I've been working with, um, who was just absolutely true girl. Love this guy. I've been able to keep him. Like I'm still working right. with him. He's like still helping with the agency, and we work so well together. So I don't know. It feels kind of the same. Like it still feels like I'm running the same processes on the day to day. Well, that's, that's really interesting, I think, because there were two things that you pointed out there aside from the winding down process. And, and thanks for, for sharing that and also for being really honest about, quite frankly, your thought process, right? That you were saying to yourself, you know, okay, this is starting to grow. Do I want to stick this out for the long haul? And I think that's an important question. But, um, but I think it's interesting that you also pointed out that, one, you had something else going on. So I guess... Maybe the agency, it sounds like, started as kind of like, a, okay, we've got something from the business that we've developed selling sex toys to now maybe doing this for other clients. And that maybe starts as kind of a pseudo side hustle. And as that starts to grow, you have something else to shift your attention to so that your mind isn't bogged down in this kind of imposter, late stage imposter syndrome kind of thing. And then you were able to, to take some of the resources, people resources, um, from that business and transition them into your agency business to kind of keep that same culture. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy. Like if you, if you get into a group working with people and my, my mentors do this aggressively. Like if you get into a group with working with people, just keep working with them. And like, I was really amazed by that when I walked out of like an agency and I had this one client that I had a really good relationship with her, the CMO. And she, like, I don't even think she, like, looked at my LinkedIn. Like, I don't think she knew my last name. I don't think she knew my experience. She just, like, she was like, this guy, it's working. Like, he's, he's doing the thing that I want. And we were still working together. Like, she's left that job. She's in another job. Like, multiple different clients. Like, and it's just, like, I try to give that level of loyalty and trust to people as well because it does pay off. It really, really pays off. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Tim, thank you so much. So if people want to reach out to you, get some advice on performance marketing, maybe hire Loop Club, it's loop.club is your website, right? Yep, yep. Okay, cool. And so is that the best way to reach you or is there another way to follow you or to stay up to date with what's going on with you? Yeah, you can check out my LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Tim dash Keen. I definitely post a bunch there and um, I'm always around. So it's a good place to hit me up. 
Awesome. Cool. Tim, thanks very much for the time. Awesome conversation. Pleasure. Thanks, Trey.